0: Hi, welcome to This Property Life. My name is Mark Winship, and this week I'm joined by Jill Green and Natalie D'Souza in this first of our Mythbuster episodes. Jill and Natalie are both active investors with a huge amount of experience and insight to share with us all. As I said, this is the first of a series of content that we're calling Mythbusters, in which myself and a select panel of experienced investors attempt to debunk some of the common misconceptions and myths that seem to be prevalent within the property industry. In this particular episode, we're tackling the myth that you need a lot of money to invest in property. Not having enough money is possibly the most commonly cited barrier to entry for most people who would like to build a portfolio of investment property. In this episode, we talk about changing your mindset to money and especially to debt, raising money through angel investment, and sources of untapped finance for the budding property developer. We have lots of ground to cover in this episode, so let's get going. Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Morning Jill, morning Natalie, how are you both? Morning, morning. Fantastic to this you. morning. Thank you. The
1: sun's shining and that's
0: always a good thing. Oh, that's nice. I'm not sure. It, oh, it is. Yeah. OK. Yeah. Got a little bit of blue sky out there. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm um, in
2: Scotland, it's not shining. <laughs> <here>. <laughs> it's not <you.
0: laughs> and Jill, uh, we were joking before we jumped on the episode, the amount of um, juggling that you've had to do just to jump on this is a real insight, I think, into the life of a, of a, um, a, a busy property investor. Uh, Family person, you know, it's you're, you're juggling all of that, aren't you? This morning, yeah,
2: it's just just the kids and the dogs that are uh, and I'm juggling this yeah. morning. <laughs> uh, I'll get on to the property stuff later, but yeah, new yeah. puppy in the household, so yeah.
0: uh, i sleeping well, right Thank now, you, so thank you for doing that. I know, uh, I know, we're all we're all really busy, so thank you for giving up your time um, for the first of our MythBuster episodes. So um, I think it sort of dawned on me, really, that that property maybe more than most other industries, has so many myths attached to it. We all have perceptions about property and property investment, and we all come into it with certain preconceptions and maybe certain hang-ups. And hopefully what we can do in this series of episodes is actually debunk some of those myths that, that we know do exist within the property world. And the first one that we want to try and tackle this morning is the myth that you need to have lots of money in order to be able to invest in property? And this would seem like a really quick episode, right? This would seem like a really easy one to answer because the answer is essentially yes. Like (laughs) to buy a property, to buy a house and potentially refurbish it is expensive. It does require a lot of money. But I guess when we really try and kind of unpick that myth, what we're really saying is you don't necessarily need to have lots of your own money. And I think that's probably a good starting point, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what I thought when we started. Um, That's why I didn't start till I was 45, um, because I thought you needed a lot of money to get into property. And we were left a little bit of inheritance. And that's why we started. But obviously, 10 years on, I, I have learned that you don't need money. So if people knew that from the offset, it would help them so much and get them started so much earlier.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: I, I was probably quite similar, but I just was one of those people who thought, oh, that's
2: other people that do that. Yeah. Like we had we had good jobs, um, but we had debt as well. So we had money on credit cards, we had cars, things like that. We went on nice holidays and we just thought like, this is what you have to do. Know the stuff you're taught, like go to school, get a good job, go to uni and yeah. um, all that sort of stuff. And we just thought properties for other people, but it was always something we were interested in, but just maybe thought that it wasn't for us, which was wrong. Yeah.
0: Um, it's,
2: obviously well, it's, the, it's the about. traditional
0: model, isn't it? That you you save and save and save and scrimp and save and, and put your salary away and everything else until you've got enough to lump into a deposit, which you then stick into a property that potentially doesn't need any work. And you hope that maybe in 10 years time, you'll start to see some return on that. That That's kind of, that's certainly how I came into or what I envisaged investing in property look like and we were in a similar position to you Natalie like we had a little chunk of money that we were able to release from the equity of our own home to sort of get us started so I guess in that position we were we were lucky in a sense but very quickly you realize if you want to scale if you want to do any more than maybe one project every couple of years then that you know There's just no way that you're going to be able to do it on that basis. So no, it runs out very quickly. It does. I mean, when I
1: first started, I was, you know, we were learning about angel investors, and I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to need those because I've got my own money pot to start with. But you know, we did want to accelerate this quite quickly at the beginning, and therefore we had to jump on the board getting angel investors quite quickly.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so for any for the for the uninitiated, so you've mentioned angel investors. So um, so what is an angel investor and how do we how do we find them and how do we engage them? what's been your experience of that?
1: Okay, well, um, at the beginning, it was completely out of my comfort zone. Um, But I always learned that to be successful, you have to step one step outside your comfort zone to be successful. So I had to put my big girl boots on (laughs) and. Go out there and do what made me feel really uncomfortable. And that was just, it wasn't too bad, really looking back on it, because it was talking to people. So, an angel investor is somebody who has money sitting in the bank, but doesn't have time or knowledge to invest in property. They're not getting any interest on their money in the bank. So, we're creating a win win situation for them. So, we're going to give them more interest than they're going to get in the bank, and we're going to loan their money for a certain percentage over a period a fixed period of time that is discussed ahead of time
0: yeah absolutely in a nutshell great 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 summary and 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 i had coming into it geo i'm sure you were the same i had no idea that that was even an option that that was even a, a possibility and i guess that's where the myth comes from that you need you see these people sort of growing these property portfolios and you you assume they've got some credit line or or you know they're they're sat on magic um, pot of gold
2: yeah (laughs) yeah. and
0: um, and like you say you just think well maybe that's for other people but once you realize that actually there is a way like Natalie said to create this win-win scenario where we're genuinely helping people this this isn't about going out with a begging bowl and asking people to give you a leg up into your own property portfolio this is genuinely helping people not everybody's wants to do the crazy stuff we're doing, right? And viewing smelly houses at the weekends and all that sort of stuff. But they do know they're not getting any return on the savings they've got in the bank. And that's where we can create that that win-win scenario. So have you guys ever bought a property with none of your own money?
2: Quite a lot. Yes.
0: Okay. <laughs> Jill, Jill, tell us about one of yours.
2: Yeah, well, um, just even from the get-go, we didn't have money um like we had the like our first our first property we bought with literally none of our own money um but at the same time going back to the angel conversation we were scared to talk to people about property we didn't want to tell all all our family at that point and i do i know like a lot of my students like will have that fear as well and now in hindsight i know that they don't need to have that fear i didn't we didn't need to have that fear but we did, and that's sometimes the reality. So basically, um, my, we both had good jobs. That's what we had, because we started um, investing when I was in maternity leave. Um, basically, through my two maternity leaves, that's where we grew um, quite a lot of our buy-to-let portfolio, because um, I had time. But essentially, on our first one, um, we put Darren as the debt junkie. Uh, and he took a cash, um, basically a balance transfer from his a credit card, uh, into his account, and then he gifted it to me.
0: Okay. Um, so that, was, that was my,
2: true. yeah, that was my deposit. Um, and I bought, after speaking to the accountant, I bought our first investment property in my personal name. I was really mortgageable because I had a good job, um, but I Dan gifted me the money. But it wasn't our money. Um obviously you need to be careful with that. Um and we bridged the first property. Okay. We actually got seventy percent of the the value of it rather than the purchase. So it actually paid for the majority of the refurb. Um, okay, so but- they
0: so so the bridging loan, the amount that they were prepared to lend you was based on the end value after so it's projecting the current forward.
2: value so okay right I think it's right, a yeah. memory it was probably worth about something like 65 yeah um, but we bought it so for you paid property. less than
1: that yeah, yeah so
2: ahead. but yeah. when they gave us it um, we were able to use quite a lot of that money for the, the refurb so basically that property was bought with none of our own money and then when we refinanced it we paid back the bridge Um, And most of the most of the credit card, we had to get money from elsewhere to pay the rest of it back. Um, But since then, on our second one, um, like I always say, like when people say, oh, I don't know anyone who's got money. And this is going into the angel money. I was like, I know that they will know somebody, no matter how small their circle is, because I thought that as well. And literally by the time we had started refurb our first deal, we started talking to people not many but we started talking to people and one of my parents friends was quite interested they had a buy to let but they'd done it the traditional way they also had a wee bit of money sitting in the bank i didn't know this but standing on their doorstep every now and then having a chat and then the day we got the second um offer accepted a few months after the first um they would ask me well oh, how are you getting on and i, I just said oh amazing we've just had an, a, an offer accepted on a property and now we just need to sort out the money and she was like oh how do you do that um, and I was like well actually on this one we're going to be looking for somebody to loan us the money and we'll pay them back a really good interest rate yeah what is the interest rate and I said it was, at that point it was eight percent um, and oh how does it work and I was like this is just on our doorstep like 10 minute conversation <laughs> Um, ended up how much do you how much do you need for that property I was like oh 48 grand she was like I've I've got 50 do you want it (laughs) and that was it so that second property and that covered the purchase and the refurb so and that investor that angel investor still invests with us now that's five years later so That's how we got, that was our first experience of angel investment.
0: So a lot of people would look at that, Jill, and go, oh, you're so lucky that, well, you you know, you were so lucky that you walked into that situation. And that just doesn't happen to me. I don't know anyone that, you know, has that kind of money. But in reality, like you say, it's not luck, is it? You were talking to people, you were putting it out there, you know, you were, you know, walking people through the mod, giving them like little opportunities to get To find out more and to get involved and and, and sort of steering the conversation that way.
2: Yeah. And I think the thing is, like, I think in practically any angel investment we've brought in, we've never asked for money. Yeah. It's all been, I I put a caveat on that because we have asked for money um, on one occasion. And it was because we got really, really good deals. And we went, Darren actually went and asked his parents um, to help us out because... We just didn't have the, all the money sitting in at that point, and it was more of a listen. We've got such a good opportunity. Can you help us out? We will pay you back with interest, mm. yeah. and we did that. And lo and behold, they are still in angels for us. Um, yeah. But I think it was for me. It was the starting to chat to people and just not boring people. Like I don't like start like just talking about it all the time. Yeah. It's, if I find an in, like, everybody, like, if you see your mates or your family, they'll all say, oh, how have you been getting on? That's just general chit-chat, isn't it? And it's yeah. that that I'm like, oh, you know I do that property stuff, like, look at this, yep. look at what I've seen, Um, I've just had an offer accepted, da-da-da-da-da. And, yeah, that's the way that
0: we've mm.
2: generally done it. And, and social media as well, but that's yeah. generally the way we've done it.
0: And it's about being authentic, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, you know, you're not, you're not pitching to anyone. You're not you're not begging. Anyone. We genuinely believe in the returns that we can offer and the difference that can make to people's lives. And that that's so we sometimes approach it almost from the other angle and say, look, you know, we've got this deal on the table. It's fully funded because I know that worst comes to worst. My broker can get a bridging loan for a really high percentage of the deal or whatever it is. So we say look, it's fully funded, but we'd much rather that those returns go to you as a friend or a family member than to some soulless bank or bridging loan society. And it's, it just puts a different spin on it, right? It just puts a different context on it that we're not sort of begging for the money. The deal is essentially funded, but we we want to work with friends and family to to benefit them in conjunction with it helping us, I guess.
2: Yeah, that, that's a good point. I've had that from that actual angel that I was talking about at the start. She was like, oh, how can you give me 8%? And I just effectively said, listen, on our first one, we could be paying up to 15% on and finance. Hmm. So I'd much rather give it to you. Yeah. And she was like, that, was,
1: that took that completely away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
1: And once you have yeah. those angels, they stay with you. They just say, keep yes. your money. We have one who we fund their holiday every year. Yeah. On the interest we give them. We just keep their pot of money. And whatever interest we give them funds their holidays.
0: Yeah absolutely and we've and it's 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 about looking at your network it's about building a network as well i guess but it's looking at the people close to you and your your friends your colleagues and just looking at where there might be win-win scenarios that you can create so we had an investor that invested with us a, a, a relatively modest amount but really early on in the process one of the very, very few investors who actually took their money back again, because I think they wanted to put a conservatory on the house or whatever it was. So we repaid their capital at the end of the term. And that was absolutely fine, because the deal stacked. And, uh, you know, we were able to do that, not a problem. Um, But what we were aware of is that through her day job, if you like, she her day job was around networks. So she had a big extended network of people that she worked with. And so we effectively put her on a a little referral kind of finders fee kind of thing and she same Natalie she genuinely funds the majority of her family holidays from the finders fees so that oh, gives you an right. indication of how much funding she's raised for us and I, it's well in excess of quarter of a million that she's brought our way effectively so it's just once you realize that that opportunity exists I think that's the thing isn't it like a lot of this sounds like just voodoo magic. If if you're new to it, it's like, how did Jill buy a property with none of her own money? I mean, it just doesn't seem to compute, you know, because if you've been brought up with that myth that what do they say? Buying a house is the most expensive purchase you're ever going to, you're ever going to make, you know? Um, And I think once you start to break that down, you realize that the world is your oyster to a certain extent. So we came from exactly the same position that I remember this was, Probably the whole part of the process I felt most apprehensive about. And I was the same as you, Natalie, because we released that equity from the house. I thought, brilliant. I don't have to worry about any of that, that angel nonsense. I don't have to talk to anyone about this sort of thing. Fast forward that, whatever it is now, five, six years. And we've just purchased a property that is, you know, not much under a million pounds with none of our own money. And it, and, and it just takes the blinkers off, doesn't it? And suddenly you realise what, what is possible you know, when you take that myth away. So angels understood angels covered to a certain extent. It's obviously, you know, we could talk about angel finance all day long um, and that side of it, but there are lots of other ways in which we can fund deals or we can raise money to contribute to deals, contribute to refurbish, to bring that cost down that people coming into this, maybe new to property investment won't be aware of, or even people who aren't, to be honest. Like I know plenty of experienced investors who are probably not tapping into um a lot of the available funding that is actually out there. So we've touched on bridging loans, but I think for the purposes of this episode, most people are familiar with the concept that you know you can take institutional lending, whether it be a mortgage or a bridging loan, in order to buy a property. But what about things like, well, let's talk credit cards for a second, because Jill, you mentioned credit cards. Now, you're not likely to buy a property out and out with a credit card. I wouldn't necessarily advise you do either. But what about credit cards? How do they play a role and how how can they be used? Because a lot of people are fearful around credit cards, right? They've been brought up with this mindset around debt and money. So how can credit cards be used safely as a useful tool to invest in property? Should I go? Go for it, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So credit cards. Again, I was bought up. You only you only spend on credit what you can afford to pay back. You don't ever. You always pay it off every month. Yeah. But I never heard of interest free credit cards where you could do balance transfers. You have to play the pre- credit card game basically. And the reason that credit cards are so ex- important is that we have to build our credit up mm. so that we can actually get money from elsewhere. So we build our credit up by using the credit card, paying it off every month. All doing a balance transfer to an interest free credit card then we can actually transfer to that card to do the refurbs we can buy the materials and we can supply the materials to our builder this is all building our credit in which case it opens the world to so many more ways that we could actually lend money as well so we're doing it on twofold really we're actually using our credit card for our own purposes by building our credit but we can actually by building that credit we can also do balance transfers we can use it for refurbs we can just overpay on a credit card as well and then take the money out from the bank account
0: yeah it's funny isn't it that's the slightly counterintuitive thing about credit cards I remember coming into the process I didn't have a credit card uh, before we started investing in property and I used to brag about that and I was thinking oh it's brilliant you know I don't have a uh, I don't have a credit card and then realise that my credit rating wasn't 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 fabulous and you kind of think well why is that and it's because you don't have any credit and you kind of think well that seems a strange <laughs> strange logic but essentially the credit agencies need to see evidence that you are Capable of managing credit, and if you don't have any credit, then they've got nothing to base that on. So yeah, they using... want to make
1: sure you're responsible,
0: don't they? Yeah, absolutely. So using credit in a responsible way, using it in a sensible way, and sticking to certain best practice um, tips, if you like, is uh, allows you to to build a really strong credit rating. Which obviously we know when we come to then refinance and we want to get a mortgage is is really important. So what are the, what are some of the the best practice things that we should follow? when using credit cards, then?
2: I, well, in ter- I mean, I use mine now for, for refurbs and things like that. And I come from a background where I did use my credit cards. I used them for holidays and things. I always stayed on top of the, the payments. Yeah. Um, and actually, I find now, if you stay on top of the payments, and, and this an interest-free card, um, stay on top of the payments and pay a bit more, that yeah. can help your credit credit score. Um, yeah. And obviously, if you're paying interest, I don't want to pay interest. So um, if it gets to the point that it's close to paying interest, I do do a balance transfer. Yeah. Um, but I quite like to use them on refurbs. And then when I get my refinance, pay that down. Yeah. Um, because that can look really good for your credit score. Um. But as I said, I come from the, the period of like, spending it on shoot like doing doing what a lot of people do like um, oh, I've got a good job I'll pay put it in the credit card and I'll pay it off when I get paid and then there's not much money at the end of the month kind of thing um whereas I've had to completely change that mindset so what I put in my credit card now is things that are actually making me money yeah. um
1: mm-hmm.
2: and but then managing it my husband's got us on a spreadsheet that we um go through every month we've actually been doing it for Longer than we've been doing property, and it's really helped me focus the mind. Yeah, um, and I think if you do have a number of credit cards and you're using them for investments, get them tracked somewhere is probably a good place to yeah. start so that you know when the, the interest free period ends, you know where the money is on them, and um, so that you're not getting into a risk of um, starting to pay big interest rates. Um, I also quite like Amex cards as well. Um, albeit not been able to use them that much in the last two years, we've got tons of free the um the British the British
0: Airways one.
2: Yeah, ah, right, so business flights and like yeah. thousands and thousands of points. Um, yeah. but hopefully in the next few years we'll be able to get through all those points and get our business class flights and stuff like that. But that one, obviously, you pretty much want to pay that off every month. So we use that for our shopping and then pay it off with our. Yeah. with our money at the end of the month and um, sometimes buy like a kitchen and stuff like that on the amex card um and then pay it off um yeah, but I, it,
0: think it's, it's I think it's essentially
2: managing it isn't it
0: yeah it's, it's it's managing it and tracking it isn't it you're quite right in saying that in that if you manage it correctly in theory we should never really be paying interest on credit cards you know, if, if we manage it correctly, if we're paying them off, but also tracking when that most most credit cards that you take out will have, a you know, an interest fee, a 0% period um, and tracking when that's about to come up and then transferring that using a 0% balance transfer offer onto another card. You know, like you, you called it the, the, the credit card game, Natalie, it's just yes. being organized, isn't it? And just moving that money around so that you stay under those those limits. And what is it that? in our experience, um, will uh, cause your credit rating to take a hit, taking too many credit applications in one go. So Mm -hmm. that's one thing to be mindful of, particularly if you're going to be applying for a mortgage anytime soon or something like that. You just want to be planned about when you apply for a new credit card and that sort of thing. Trying to stay under 50% roughly of your credit utilization. So, you know, if you've got, 20 grand's worth of credit. You try and stay under that, under 10 grand where you can. Um, uh, you know, by spreading it and by using, you know, different cards. So there are there are little, there's there's there are lots of examples of best practice, aren't they? That mean that credit cards turn from being something to be scared of, and we all hear about people just spiralling into uncontrollable credit card debt into something that is actually a really useful tool. There's a big
1: difference between good debt and bad debt. And I think yeah. before you start investing in property, you have to really get a hold of that. And mm. even though it's it's other people's money, even a credit card is other people's money. So you have to use it responsibly, look like you would if you borrowed money from a friend or a family. Yeah. And when you get your head around that, that is when you can use credit cards to your advantage.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So. Okay, what about um this this I think is a really um underutilised area. What about council grants? Okay, so we're probably talking about refurbs now rather than purchasing a property, but um um
1: we've used I, a council I, once yeah
0: see, see i haven't so i haven't so mm. this is untapped for me as well so i'm really interested in this area and i wanted to know okay. what you guys have done in this this space but i know that they exist and i know that you can get assistance in certain circumstances from councils for upgrading and renovating and energy efficiency and and, and all those kind of things so what's been your empty experience homes. Empty if you're bringing homes, an empty yeah.
1: home back into life again, they will help you with that as well. So it depends on the council. Not all councils offer that grant, but where we yeah. invest in our buy-to-lets, they do. So when we first started out, we used it to the best of our advantage and we, we applied for the grant. You have for, for, for forms to fill in. You have to say what a detailed um, description of what your refurb is and everything. And you put it all to the council and then they give you an interest-free grant for five years our particular council did. So we did about four refurbs right at the beginning on grants.
0: And And then obviously, sorry, Mark? I was just going to ask, does that property then need to be rented to council approved tenants or can you, you can do anything with it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So as soon as as we refinanced it, then we could pay the council back. So we didn't even have to wait the five years. Right. Hmm. So we yeah. use that right in the beginning, probably on four or five properties right in the beginning. We haven't used it lately because we've got more angels on board now. But you need to know what's out there available. So if you're starting out investing in property, you found, find, find your strategy, then you go to your area. And if it's something that you might quite like to use, you need to speak to the council first to see if they actually offer those schemes. Because mm. yeah. as I said before, Not all um, councils will offer that scheme. Do you find hours. that
0: they're they're usually quite um, amenable to that because I might be this might be unfair, but I, but I I kind of imagine um, people responsible for that area of grants within the council sat in a basement somewhere waiting for the phone to ring. i I, I can't imagine that actually a lot of people know that these grants exist, right?
1: No, they don't they don't and and, and that's why um, we learn all this right at the beginning. To, to go and, and look for these things and so we were educated in property at the beginning and I think when you are you learn these little tips of where to go to find the money
0: yeah absolutely
1: yeah, yeah. and I sorry,
2: think absolutely, sorry. sorry I was just gonna say it's quite good to do it at the beginning because as you build your portfolio quite often these sort of mm. grants become less available um, I just had an example recently for rendering and an insulation where I wasn't eligible for the grant because um, it was only for landlords who have less than two properties, mm. um, which is a bit of a kick in the teeth. But mm. um, that's that's the way it goes. Um, yeah. I was actually Natalie. Have you spoke? Well, um, we it wasn't the council, but it was Energy Saving Trust. Um, I actually had a call with them yesterday and um, looking at one of our um, recent vitalites that rather than putting gas in, I'm actually going to trial electric heating. Um, I've got a bit more of a method as to why I'm, I'm trialing this in the vitalite. I just want to see if it actually works, but it's because I've got a commercial unit that is all electric heating as well. And I realise I need to get my head around all of this. So I'm going to trial it. But I was asking them about what um, help was available. Um, And what they were talking to me about is for specific types of electric heating, um, we can get access to up to, I think, a land, it was like hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of loans um, that would have to be paid back. And if I filled in the application, which my concern is the application can take quite a long time, although they said that they aim to respond within 10 working days. Um, And as long as there's a few other sets of criteria that I would need to follow um, and get quotes from a a select registered installer and and things like that. But basically, they could loan me the money to install this electric heating system. And I'd be paying back um, at a rate, I think, based on my criteria as a landlord, I think the rate was about 3.64% which I was looking at that purely on the rate perspective. I'm not sure if it's going to work, this this loan facility for me, but purely on the rate side. Um, and this is another, going back to the credit card thing, like doing the, having to do a balance transfer obviously sometimes costs a few hundred quid. But the way I always look at it is, well, I just compare it against an angel and um, mm. so I know what I'm paying my angels that's 3.64% that's cheap money right mm-hmm. um, and if I'm not having to pay it back in um, for like a period of five years for example then that's really cheap money like I'm pretty happy with that so um yeah I'm still on the fence whether I'm going to go down the route of this taking this assistance and um, because obviously time costs money as well right so
0: um yes.
2: I'm needing to get this turned around because it's a let so that it then cash flows. Um, and yeah. So i weighing that up just now, but that's another good area to maybe look at. Um, so the Energy Saving Trust—they basically phone you and go through like a set of questions, and then it it gives out a report and it tells you what yeah. could be available to you.
0: Because it, and it's yeah, it's such a buzzword. It's such an, a hot topic right now, isn't it? Um, you know, climate change and um, energy efficiency and you know we're looking at you know moving from switching fuels to electric vehicles so it's 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 such a hot topic and quite often where there is a big political agenda like that you will find that the government are incentivizing um, and and facilitating for us to be able to do developments like that so um, I know for example certain councils will even potentially offer financial assistance for um converting a property to or, or or doing the works to turn a property into an hmo um, where the licensing exists you know because you know they want to be able to facilitate that at the end of the day they want to see um you know responsibly managed um you know efficient hmo safe hmos fire safe hmos etc on the market you know in circulation and so they're going to facilitate that where they where they can so i think the key is knowledge here isn't it the the, the key is education and knowledge banks
1: i mean if you've had your bank account for a long time i mean we had three of our banks because we have lots of different bank accounts for different things company bank personal banks um they offer fifty thousand pound loan a phone call away two percent three percent take advantage of all this
0: yeah absolutely yeah cheap money you've done Um,
1: refurbs on
0: those on those loans before yeah. And
1: again, it can be paid back on refinance. If you do your figures properly, Yeah, there's so much of money available out there. You don't need your own money.
0: That's it. Yeah, because what we've learned already, this is where education is key, because what we've learned already in principle, if everything's stacked in the right way, is that you can purchase a property with angel finance and or bridging money. Um, you can get council grants and potentially bank loans and use credit cards efficiently to pay for the refurb. So by the time you've done that you haven't actually had to invest any of your own cash and that means that if you have that cash because sometimes having cash is a crutch right sometimes we it's a safety net um that actually stops us from scaling because you know you think well i don't need to bother with any of that so i've got my own cash so i'll just deploy that but if you want to grow and scale a portfolio being able to use your cash and spread it as efficiently as you possibly can by using other people's money in order to top that up is going to allow you to grow that much quicker and that's really yeah, both of us found incredible. that didn't
1: we mark
0: yeah it was, wasn't was until
1: we realized that we wanted to accelerate that we yeah. realized actually we have to go and use other people's money yeah and my trainer yeah. my trainer said to me you will only become a property investor when you start using other people's money yeah
0: absolutely. yeah that makes sense yeah.
1: you
2: there's a whole different dynamic isn't there um because we were probably pushed into it a little bit earlier maybe because we had to. Yes. Um, and I'm probably quite grateful for that. Um yeah. But I suppose there's other ways as well, like, because I always think about, um, well, if you have to leave some money in a deal, because everything has to stack up, right? But if you have to leave money in a deal, if you've got some of your own funds, then maybe that's the money that you're leaving in the deal. Um, or you need to look at doing some flips um, to your buy to let. So you take the, the funds that you make on the flips. And lead them and buy to, to let deals, and then that helps you you scale. Um, so I just think once I suppose once we start, once you start, you see all these opportunities. But it's when you're standing at the starting point, like I, I just didn't even realise that we could buy investment property. Yeah, so that absolutely. was a big revelation in its own right.
0: Yeah, and once that once that uh, once you start going down that rabbit hole. It, there's such a wealth of possibilities, aren't there? Because there's, and I, I, I'm conscious I'm dropping a teaser into this episode here because there's no way we could possibly cover all of these strategies in detail. But then you start to understand that there are actually ways that you can buy, or at least take legal control of a property without requiring very much, if any, money at all. So you've got option purchases, you've got lease options, you've got assisted sales. You've got vendor finance, which is when the, the the seller of the property effectively becomes your angel and lends you money back. You know, all of this kind of voodoo stuff that that sounds, you know, but, it, but it, it's just a mindset change, isn't it? And it's just looking at a deal creatively and understanding that there are there are different ways that we can go about solving problems for a seller and therefore using creative buying options that don't necessarily fall into that myth that I've got to chuck a load of cash at this.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah. Well, I think each of those is probably an episode in itself. So uh, uh, yeah, that, that's a to be continued. We'll leave that one on a cliffhanger. But um... what
1: our viewers, or our listeners need to just realise is that, you know, you can actually you can't learn this anyway. It, it, it's something that you need to get educated in. You're not going to yeah. learn this from the Internet. You're not going to. So if you really want to get involved in property investment, yeah. there yeah. are there, there will always be a solution to your problem
0: absolutely and yeah. you don't
1: need your own money it is a myth buster and it's just a question of where to go to find these answers out yeah. and do it responsibly
0: absolutely yeah. so, and Serene, go on jill i was
1: just going
2: to i was just going to add there because when you were talking about vendor finance um we've done that on a property before and that person's actually an angel to us as well and like yeah. Brilliant. And it was all mixed everything like all the different nuggets were all mixed in, and it was yeah. really nicely done um and yeah, none of our own money in the deal, but um i I think I got to that point because I'd be building the blocks of the knowledge, exactly. like what you're talking yeah. about, Natalie. It's yeah. like as you get comfortable with each thing, yeah. um yeah. I suppose it's the same as like normally like starting off with the easier stuff like the buy to lets and stuff and then working your way up and doing the sexier deals but it's like you're building your knowledge all the time and like you could be walking in to speak to a vendor and wait back at the start i don't think i would have been able to talk about an assisted sale and like a straightforward purchase but now i'm comfortable to do that and i think it works really well because if you give people options then even goes for angel investors as well. Like I think, I always think it's good to be able to give people options because then the answer's not a yes or no normally. And yeah. it's like, oh, I like that one rather than that one. Yeah. And I always find that's always worked quite well when you're kind of starting yeah. to look at some of these.
0: Definitely. So I think the key takeaways then are changing your mindset to money and to debt. I think you know good debt and bad debt is is something to really get your head around. So changing that mindset, surrounding yourself with the right people, both in terms of um, people following a similar model and people who understand um, you know ways to do this, but also your power team and making sure that you've got people in your team that can advise you and and can can help you raise money in these different ways, and then just get yourself educated. You know, just make sure knowledge is power. Hopefully, that's one thing we've shown is that actually by understanding just what's available, the types of deals that you can end up doing that would otherwise have been completely inaccessible to any of us.
1: Absolutely. And also, once you're outside your comfort zone doing these things, as soon as you get comfortable, do more to get uncomfortable again.
0: Yes. Because that will stretch you. Yeah, absolutely right. And
1: just speak to
2: people as well. Just lastly, speak to people and just be yourself.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because that's how we uncover these opportunities and how, how we actually, in some ways, um, that's an education in itself, isn't it? Yes. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much for your time, guys. It's been brilliant talking to you hopefully there's some nuggets there um and hopefully we've gone some way towards debunking the myth that you need lots of your own money in order to invest in property i'm pretty sure that we've we've made a good start at that so thank you again for your your time and um i will catch up with you guys soon thanks mark
1: yeah, thank thanks you so much, guys have thank a day, care. everyone and you bye-bye Bye.
0: I hope you agree that we have thoroughly debunked the notion that you need lots of your own money to invest in property. When you change your mindset to money, you will never again allow not having enough money to get in the way of you moving on a good deal raising money is a hot topic among property investors. So if you feel like this is something that you're struggling with, why not head over and start networking with a whole host of other like-minded investors and property people over in the Property Wealth System community on Facebook thanks for tuning in. If you did enjoy this episode, we would love it if you would recommend us to friends and give us a mention on social media. We're keen to support, educate, and inspire as many people as possible who are interested in investing in the UK property market. Thanks again for listening, and I will catch you on the next episode.